Welcome to The Village. I'm Gillian Dagon, a Food Improved Consulting Group, and in this podcast, we talk to professionals in and out of the food space about their lessons and insights. Today, we are joined by a friend I admire for her fortitude as an entrepreneur, her exceptional sense of humor, and her ability to clean an incubator. Welcome, Dr. Rena Schifrin, a ProSense Consumer Research Center in Tucson, Arizona. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Rena, should we start with the story about the famed incubator? <laughs> I, th- I think it's I think it's a fantastic place to start. Um, do you want to set it up, or would you like me to? Uh, it was a balmy day, a balmy, balmy day in the pilot plant of the food science department at the University of Florida. And there, of course, was a dirty incubator. We have to have that character in the plot, right? It wasn't just a dirty incubator. It was an incubator full of pathogens. <laughs> That's yes. how it was described to me by the honorable and unfortunately late Dr. Ronald Schmidt. Was He came to me and said, hi, as he did. And I said, hello, <laughs> knowing something was up. I could feel the suspicion tense in the air. And he said to me, what are you doing? And I knew at that moment, my day was taking a turn. Um, and then, uh, then he said to me, he spoke a little bit about how some students are, um, going to go off to some fun adventure at a lodge, but I was going to be staying in the pilot plant, cleaning a refrigerator full of pathogens. It was a beautiful, beautiful balmy day. (laughs) Enter stage left, uh, me walking into the pilot plant. Um, obviously already outed as one of the students going to the lodge that day. Oh, it was. And, uh, (laughs) and I believe I asked Rena, um, Hey, what are you doing? Or, Hey, do you need some help with that? I don't know. Something friendly. You, you have, you have to remember, we we gotta set this. I, at this point was already elbows deep in bleach water and pathogens. (laughs) (laughs) This wasn't just a random, I opened the door to the fridge and somebody walked by. I was already, and and one of of the interesting things about being elbow deep in bleach water and pathogens is that it does tend to change your mood to being (laughs) slightly bitter. (laughs) And um, at that point, I believe I said something along the lines of, thank you for your lovely offer. (laughs) Only I believe that's how it sounded in my mind, but it came out more like, no, I've got it. Just go to the lodge or something like that. Yeah. And at that point, you know, I feel like what was best illustrated was, was really, um, you know, Rena's can do attitude. And I replied with something that I would have to bleep out of this podcast. So um, really reflects on how well I talk like a sailor and, and still do. Since then, many, many moons have passed and we're still good friends. So thank you for being here, Rena. Happy to do it. So a formal introduction for Dr. Rena Schifrin. Uh, she's always been fascinated by how people interact with and are influenced by the foods they eat and the products they use. She's formally trained as a food scientist and consumer researcher, and she has been involved in and worked extensively in the sensory and consumer sciences for more than 25 years. You know, you talked in, in, you know, in the description, kind of your professional description about, you know, you're fascinated by how people interact with and, you know, with, with foods. And I, um, fun fact, 
I ate peanut butter and jelly mixed together for a solid three years of my life every day for breakfast. No bread necessary, just a spoon. So I would like to know what that says about me. Actually, I think it explains a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure anyone that knows you needs more explanation than that. You know, and, and I would be critical because one of the things that I get to do is I get to watch what people do and how they how they interact with foods and how their perceptions change and their attitudes and how things match and don't match their behaviors. But I can't be critical in this case because <laughs> the same thing more times than I care to admit. Not necessarily for three years in a row, but over my lifetime, there have been spoons laden with peanut butter and or jelly, not required when it comes to peanut butter. And they have been consumed with a modicum of shame um, (laughs) in the kitchen, hopefully by myself without anyone seeing such behaviors. But let's face it, I'm I'm not that proud. I will put that on display. So I, I think what it says about you is that you have an unabashed um, way of being and you should fly that flag high. <laughs> right on. I've, and I feel, I feel supported and I feel like I'm in good company. Great. I, I Happy to validate. It. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just your work ethic, your diligence, um, your sense of humor that I wanted to share with everybody today, but it was also your career path. So um, your career path specifically in owning your own sensory and market research firm. So first, tell us all about ProSense Consumer Research Center. ProSense Consumer Research Center is a full service uh, sensory evaluation and consumer research uh, business. We have a facility in Tucson where we do testing on site. Um, So if somebody has Um, some sort of answer they want, whether it's how are consumers interacting with our products, how are our products affecting consumers, the whole shebang. Um, We can do that kind of testing. We also do things um, where we design tests and recommend testing outside. So it's a little bit of consulting. It's a little bit of being a field agency. It's a lot of being um, the the whole experience with, with ProSense was designed to capture really as many different ways as we can, how that interaction between products, food products, food adjacent products, and some non-food products, how, how that happens with consumers, how it changes their lives, how it changes the products, that whole consumption experience. And we have, we use traditional methods, we develop new methods, um, we Sometimes we're forced to create a new method um, that got validated and is being used again and again here um, to try to better understand what is this about? It's, it's, it's about our senses. It's about, and that's the basics of sensory work, right? It's about our senses, but it's also about far more than that. Um, when you think about the products that we eat, the foods that we choose, the experiences that we have with foods, um, so much more comes in than just the senses. So sensory science is my first love. It is professionally my first love. It is um, what I enjoy doing, but that's just, that's a springboard. And so all these other different elements and different factors come into play. And I wanted to create a place where we could not just capture that, but try to tie those things together if possible. 
And what type of what type of people do you work with? Like, what would their titles be within different companies? Um, so I work a lot with um, with research and development folks, but I also work a lot with marketing people, salespeople, engineers. We work with C-suite people. Um, really, anyone that has an issue that requires them to look at at their products and who's using them. We've even, we've worked with some research chefs. Um, it's it's a wide range, but the largest the largest groups are the product development folks and the marketing people and market research. Can you tell us what just just a just a hint about what your first project was when you opened the business? I know exactly what my first project was. And my first the first commissioned project. I had one that that I was working on with the University of Arizona when I opened, and that was great. Um, but that was something that had been put into place before I opened the doors at ProSense. So the very first food testing project I ever had was for a company that deals with dried fruits, and they were making a yogurt raisin. I, I will never forget that because they were willing to take a chance on me. Um, I had a contact there that I had spoken to, and this company, the, this representative of the company was willing to say, I know you just opened your doors, but I believe in what you can do, and we're willing to give you a try. And that, as somebody who had this shiny, new, fresh business that was unproven to others at that point, that was such an amazing feeling that that very first project that came in and I'll never forget that. It was, it was unbelievable. It felt like such an accomplishment. And for them, it was probably one project in a mix that didn't mean all that much to them. You know, it meant something business-wise, but for me, it was, you know, it, it, it was great. It, it gave me that, that reason that I made a right choice. And I think it's important that that feeling be talked about, it cannot be minimized how meaningful it is to a new business owner to have someone start the ball rolling and really get that momentum going and validate, you know, the choice they made to jump out there and be a business owner. Well, when you think about it, we're, you know, we're service providers. Um, what I do is service providing, what you do is service providing. And, you know, it took me a while to realize when I was, you know, banging on doors looking for someone that would, at the start, looking for someone who would take a chance uh, to work with a new company. One of the biggest things that that you was a barrier was going, well, how do we know you're going to be good? I mean, and when it comes to a service provider, that's a hard thing to prove. I had known the, the contact at that place before. In fact, you know her. We went to, um, we she was at the University of Florida with us. But, uh, and a very, very gifted uh, researcher who has her own company making food products now. Um, and, you know, it, it was, she knew me personally, but we'd never worked before. And we weren't, we weren't friends. We weren't, you know, it wasn't like we hung out all the time. We knew each other as colleagues. We, um, and for her to just say, to pull that trigger for her company and encourage her company to say, we're going to try someone new. As a service provider, that's a great, that's a validation. That That's something where you, you know, someone took the chance and now you have that behind you saying, look, we did this work for you. We did it well. Now I can tell others we have at least one and one gets another and another and another. And it's, 
it's a it's an amazing way to grow, even if it's a slower way to grow. Everything you just said is true, and it's even harder when you're in a confidential space. Yes, where testimonials may not be possible, but really, it is that industry word of mouth that just starts your street cred building. Yeah. Did you always see yourself as a business owner? Um, you know that's. That's an interesting question because I kind of did um, somewhere along the way in my early years of training, I thought it would be nice to do this as my own business. And my parents had, they had worked for companies, but they also had their own businesses as well. Um, and so part of me was, had that in mind where I'd go, yeah, I'd like to do this one day, but it was never, I don't know if I really had formulated it as a plan. I thought one day, maybe one day, it was sort of, I kept kicking that ball down the, down the road. And I thought, you know, it would be nice to go work for a company and, you know, get that corporate experience and interact in those ways and see all the different things and work at the pace that corporations work or, even at universities. And, and I had experience with both of those over my years. Um, and it, but somewhere in the back of my mind, there was always this one day, you know, one day I'll, maybe I'll open my own business. And I, it, it wasn't until I was, you know, in a, in a position where I was really kind of debating, okay, what do I do with my future now? I've come to a certain point what do I do now that it's, it sort of began to solidify. And it was, it was always this vague notion, but one day it was, it just started crystallizing and it started coming together. And, and a, a little part of me went, you know what? I, I think if I'm going to keep saying this, now's the time to give it a go, take a chance, pull the trigger, see what happens. Um, if it doesn't work, I can always go get a job, you know, <laughs> it was, it was sort of that. I mean, the practicalities are not quite the same, but it was sort of, okay, I'm, I'm at a point in my life that it just seemed like it's now or never, you know, think about it. You've been, you've been thinking about it off and on forever. You never, you, I had an, I had an idea, um, which is different. It, it was a little bit different than what came out of, you know, ProSense. Uh, or what ProSense came out of. But um, it wasn't until I hit a certain point that I, I really kind of sat down and thought, yeah, you know what? What you've been talking about in your own mind all those years, let's let's give it a go. Let's try it. Now, you know, building up to that moment, you know, you mentioned you worked for corporations. Um, you know, tell us tell us a little bit about maybe kind of your path to get there. So educational background, you know, what, what types of businesses had you worked with and like, you know, did it, did it help you? At the time going into sensory work was something most people kind of fell into. It wasn't a big, it wasn't a goal for a lot of people because people didn't know it could be a goal. And I was one of those people. Um, I'm happy to say now that I think the field of sensory science has, you know, beautifully bloomed into something where people actually go for that. But at the time when I was doing this, which is great, because you said I have more than 25 years of experience, which is incredible because I'm only 28 years old. 
<laughs> plus a few more decades. Um, but, you know, at the time it was, you went into food science and you were lucky if people knew what food science was, but you went into food science and you happened into sensory work or you got forced into sensory work because you were doing something that needed it. There were people working in it, dedicated to it, but it was a small group. Um, and I, for my part, I inadvertently fell into food science and then I fell into uh, sensory work. And what happened was I've been doing food science stuff since I was a teenager and I didn't really think about it that way. But my father owned a, my father was in food science and he owned a, um, at the time, a dry goods uh, blending and packaging facility. And he, um, he did product development work. And so as a job in high school, I would go in there and I would develop dry mixed beverages and work on those. And when I went to, um, I, I went to college at the University of Florida and you had to pick a major. And I, I was like a lot of people, I was going to be a doctor or I was going to be a veterinarian or I was going to have this, you know, grand career in something else. And I needed a major and food science sounded fun. I knew what it was. I enjoyed it. I never had at the time, a real intention of going down the sensory path, but I thought, you know what? It's a good, it's good. It's, it's a good degree. It's a, it's an interesting degree. It uses science skills, which I loved. Um, there's some benchtop work, which I enjoyed and I could be a product developer um, as an alternate path. If something didn't work out along the way to medical school and somewhere along the line, I was working in food science and realized I like this too much. I, I don't want to go to medical school or something else. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, product development, that, that interests me. And I was working um, and I had the great fortune of working with a lot of really, really interesting and really very good hearted um, people. And I worked for Charlie Sims. I worked for Ron Schmidt. I worked for Bob Bates in the University of Florida. And those people were not just good as mentors, but they were also good in giving students chances and opportunities. And one of those chances that I had was to work in the sensory, um, in the sensory testing facility. And I was doing that. And then I got into grad school and was doing that. And one day, um, you know, Charlie Sims said, do you want to, do you want to manage the sensory lab? I have a position. Do you want to, do you want to be a biological scientist in my lab? And I took the opportunity and I learned so much. It was fascinating. I got to do all sorts of things professionally that I didn't think I'd ever really be doing. And it led me down that path of going, well, every time I worked with a product in the product development area, we had to test it with somebody, even if it was informally, somebody had to know, was this good? And importantly for me, how could it be fixed to make it palatable? <laughs> so um, I got into the sensory work and I started finding it fascinating because there were so many things that we thought we understood about a product. And then when we put it in front of consumers, there was something very different and how people were perceiving it was different. And the, it led to different ideas with research and things. So I fell into sensory work that way. And then um, I thought, well, it's time I'd finished my degree. It was time my master's degree. It was time to move on to do something else. And I was offered a position with it was Dial, 
at the time, the soap people. They were bought by a company called Henkel while I was there and they're Henkel now. Um, but I got hired to do sensory work for them, um, but not just on food. I got hired to do food sensory work, but I also got hired to do work on some non-foods, um, laundry care especially. But it also led into um, uh, insecticides and household <laughs> cleaners. And <laughs> insecticide testing is fun. That's a sensory test you do once. No. Um, <laughs> anything is edible once. Um, no, obviously not. Um, we didn't do taste tests on insecticides. Um, but we did sensory work in other ways. Yeah, I mean, I always I always admired when I was younger, I admired the people that knew what they wanted to do and they got on that track and they did it. And that was, you knew their whole lives, they knew their whole lives, this is what they wanted to do. And I always thought that's really commendable. You know, my husband knew at a young age, he wanted to be a physical therapist and he pursued that and he is a physical therapist. And he's very, very good at what he does. And he opened his own clinic and he is doing the thing that he knew he wanted to do from the time he was young. And I always thought, well, my, my path wasn't, wasn't quite the same. I didn't, I, I didn't take the, I didn't, I didn't get on a route so much as I wandered into my, <laughs> into my career. I mean, there were intentional stops along the way, but some of those were just visits. Um, but some of them were amazing side journeys. And I and it's weird how well all of those things get put together and how I've used them. I mean, there are things I've I learned working with people. Um, I got a so my I got a minor in social psychology. And I thought, yeah, that was interesting. But it it's come into play at work so many more times than I would have expected. I did a I recently did a, a product strategy certification thing course with um uh the kellogg school of management and it was it was an online thing but i've already used some of those things and i never i took it because i thought interesting and it might help in the future but i was doing strategy work re making recommendations to companies and i thought maybe i should get some more some formal training and and i've used those things I've, i have friends that were game developers and some of the stuff that they're doing has just ridiculous potential for sensory work and the fascinating i mean that's the other thing about sensory is it is it's growing it is at such a fantastic point right now that it it is poised to just explode with all of these different disciplines coming in and it has been for years but there are things now that if the right people take them in the right direction it's just going to be a fascinating unbelievably exciting journey for people who like that kind of work. No, well, I've been a client of uh, ProSense Consumer Research Center, so I can say you are very good at it. Um, Thank you. So let's recap. So University of Florida trained food scientist, works for Dial Hinkle, um, sprays dead bugs. Uh, I, I believe there were some times where um, potted meats or Vienna sausages were involved. Um, yes. <laughs> at, at, at some point decides to go back, get a PhD in consumer behavior, uh, meets an amazing man, starts a family, opens a business. What was the hardest part? Like what, when you opened ProSense, what, what were you saying to yourself in your head? Was it a pep talk? Was it a, oh crap moment? Like, 
Tell us a little bit about that. It was all of that at different points in time. It was never, there was always this, I can do this. But then if I thought about it, there was a lot of, oh, crap, what if I can't do this? Um, but then that, you know, it, it went minute by minute. And it was, there were times that I thought this was the best decision I have made professionally. And there were equally number of times where I thought, why did I do this? Why am I getting myself into this? I, this is, this is, this is beyond, you know, what I could do or wanted to do. And then it would shift right back. And it was, it really was like an ever-changing tide. It was ebbing and flowing. And there's always going to be those minutes of doubt. There's always going to be, sometimes those minutes are, are longer, but there's also that, that bit of going, I really like this. There are days I go home from work and I think this is absolutely the right decision. I want this. This is, this is it. But it was, it's never, it's never easy. They're, they're starting your own business. The hardest part was deciding to do it. And then once you do it, yeah, you waffle it around in your head, you go back and forth, but at a certain point, you have to jump in with both feet. And I wasn't at first I was thinking, well, and I was, I was, I was also teaching university courses online at the time. And I, I always wanted to have that, that backup, that lifeline that, well, if it doesn't work, you know, I have this still. And at a certain point, my husband and I were talking and, and it occurred to me and he said, if you're going to do this, just do it. There's this, there's nothing else for it. You've explored every option. You've, you have your safety nets and everything else. And that's great. But now you have to do it. And I realized, yeah, you know what? The training wheels at a certain point have to come off. You have to jump in. You have to just give it a go. And that I think was the hardest decision. Other hard things came up along the way. I had to learn things I never thought I would deal with. And I never had to deal with things like pricing, things like sourcing, and what, what are my capabilities? People would ask, what are my capabilities? And you never, it's hard to go, well, I want. I to. am capable of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and when the business is yours and your name is tied to it, you want to make sure that it works, you know? And yeah, to go, okay, I'm learning, learning to say no, learning to know when something truly is outside. Now, now don't get me wrong. I will try my best to take on what I can as much as I can, not just to grow the business, but because it interests me. And I think, can I do that? Yeah. And a good friend of mine who opened her own um, consulting firm and is doing podcasts, I hear, uh, once told me, you know, that there's this idea of you manage to yes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> That you set, you know, if you you know, you find a way to make it work, and I found that I I could do that, and until I got my feet and knew what I was capable of doing, uh, feasibly, because I didn't want to overpromise something to a client and not deliver. To me, that was the that's that's the hard part. You know, where is that line? And growing into that and learning what you really could do took took work, but it was. Yeah, the the emo it was an emotional roller coaster opening this. And I'm not, I don't think I am the most, you know, emotional, you know, highs and lows person. But 
Um, not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just not my nature. But there were big moments of highs and lows and yes, I can. And I would be doing something and it would be working. And then part of me would go, what am I doing? This is, this is, what if, what if this is not the right step? And then, yeah, you kind of have to sit back and look at yourself and go, no, you know this, you know, your field, you know what you're doing. You've got this, you can do it. It's not so much an internal pep talk as a realization of you've had years of experience and you're trained for this. This is you, this is what, you know, the other stuff you can learn and it's, it's constant learning but that's fun for me too. And I enjoy it. Yeah. I, I, I think you made some really good points. It, recently, it was pointed out to me that, you know, if you, if you work enough years and you are not your own boss, so working in corporate America, if you work enough years, the system is kind of built where you forget all the accomplishments that you have. And when you really sit down and you have to do something like put a resume together or a cover letter or, uh, you know, advertise yourself in some way, shape or form, <laughs> and you really have to dig deep and think about all the things, all the projects you've completed and all the like, you know, different milestones that you had or, you know, programs that you launched or whatever it is. If you sit there and you do that on a regular basis, it really is quite astonishing all the things that we get done and 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 at the same time all the things we forget right <laughs> on a regular basis and i feel like it is almost this weird it's a torturous self affirmation to put your resume together but it um <laughs> it really but, is but but i think i think a lot of it is yeah you know what hold on i've done this before and i can do it again yeah and that's i mean it comes that comes with experience. And you also forget some of it is it's like muscle memory, right? You don't, you don't even think about it. You just know to do it. And it's only when you actually sit back and look at it or somebody new comes in the field and you're like, why don't they know? Oh, of course they don't know that. They haven't had to do that yet. And you realize you do things without the hesitation once you've, you've done it before that new people have they 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 have to hesitate for a minute and you just do it and the pro the thing is when you've done it enough it seems easy because it is for you i remember having an organic chemistry professor i absolutely hated that class um <laughs> because this this organic chem professor would put up these equations on the board and he'd stand back and he'd say I see an SN1 reaction. Does everybody see an SN1 reaction? Okay, good. And he'd erase the equation. And then he'd put up a new one and he'd say, I see an E2 reaction. Does everybody see an E2? And this went on and on and on. And the problem was the whole class was lost because we were new. We didn't see it. But he knew it like the back of his hand. This was, this was basic. And so for him, it was very easy. Of course, we should see it. And it's, it's sort of, it's like you said, it's, it's a little bit humbling when you go back and you have, you're forced to put your resume together. And one of the things, one of the big learnings for me, opening ProSense was learning to talk about myself. I can talk. God knows. Everybody knows me knows I can talk. <laughs> but learning to talk about yourself and what you can do, especially when it's your company, you have to put yourself out there with strangers and, and say, Hi, I'm Rena. I own ProSense, and this is how we can help you. That's weird. It's a strange feeling. Some people are excellent at it. We have friends that can do that. We, you know, we know people that that's their nature. 
but that's not everybody's nature and it wasn't mine. So learning how to do that and how to network, how to sit in a room of strangers and know that they are from big companies or bigger companies, know that they are, um, you know, from big corporations or from other areas or knowing that they have years of experience as well or different um, uh, different opportunities than you have had in different ways, good and bad, it's it can be daunting. And learning how to do that was something that took a long time. I'm not naturally a salesperson, but I had to learn to do that as part of the job. But it really is something that takes getting used to, that, that whole taking that introspective look at yourself and realizing that, yeah, you've actually done some things over the years. You've had accomplishments, <laughs> yeah. And nobody celebrated them. They, you didn't win awards for, for things. Nobody gave you that, that pat on the back that said, good job on this project. You made us, you know, $4 million from the work you did. You know, but you had to go back and look and go, no, I did that. What you just shared, you know, it, it's it's one of those things, networking and talking about yourself and kind of, you know, tooting your own horn. I think it's hard for the majority of people out there. What what other things have you learned along the way that maybe trans, you know, transcend the barrier between your personal and your professional life? Or I always like to ask people, you know, what have you learned in the kitchen? you know, in your own home that translates to work or vice versa? Or what have you learned about, you know, what, what type of, I, I uh, actually use a lot of work techniques with my family about managing <laughs> expectations and communicating <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, you know, what, what are some of those, share with us a lesson that kind of transcends one of those odd boundaries. So the managing expectations thing is huge. Um, and it's 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 funny you mentioned it because it's it's something that when you do consumer work, managing expectations is an important part for companies. You don't, you know, consumers have a certain expectation of what your product is going to deliver. And you it may not be with how you see your product and how you're trying to position your product. So how do you either manage their expectations or manage your product to match their expectations? Um, and that has kind of come through. I, I, you know, it's given me, it's given me a bit of a different perspective because I, I get to be in a really unusual situation. My job doesn't sit with just the consumers and it doesn't sit just with the company and it doesn't sit in research and development and it doesn't sit with marketing and it doesn't sit with sales. It's this, I, I live in this nebulous area in between all of those things. And in that area, I get to see the different perspectives of people that come in. And I think one of the things it's let me do is be able to see how other people's viewpoints are, they may be very, very different from each other, but most of the time they're all valid. And even when there are viewpoints that maybe aren't, you don't think are so valid, you know, you know, I, I also moderate focus groups. I will sit in focus groups and listen to people rage about things that are factually not true. For instance, you know, we're in a conversation about GMOs with people and there are people railing against GMOs. And when you ask them, what, tell me, what is a GMO? They have their idea of what a GMO is, is not at all what a GMO is. Okay. 
but they have a valid viewpoint in the fact that they may be factually wrong, but the reason the driver behind that viewpoint, that fear that they had is valid. And to understand and be able to peel back those layers and go, okay, what's driving that fear? They may not be right, but something is something is scaring them about that. And to be able to look at that, it's kind of, that's been kind of helpful in that sort of transcended into personal life and things. And I, I, I hope that has allowed me to be more understanding and see things from different views. Plus being an older mother, um, I, I think that gives me a, a slightly different perspective that I can hopefully see things from a couple of different viewpoints. Um, the other thing that I think has sort of helped me, I don't, I don't do, I don't have a mantra. I don't do anything like that. But one of the things when I start questioning myself is I start thinking things like, oh, they say fortune favors the bold. Let's go try it. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but at least it gives you that little verse that goes, you know what? You don't try it. You can't know. You can't, you can't complain about it. You can't complain about missing an opportunity if you never went for it. Give it a shot. You've got nothing to lose. You know, nothing. And I think part of that comes with, um, you know, make, learning to pick battles and making making the choices that are the smarter choices to make. And if you do those things, you use common sense and you try to think ahead a little bit. Hopefully, if things go south, they don't go south that badly. And you know how to manage them. You have backup. I'm naturally a person that makes contingency plans in certain scenarios. If I need them, I do it at home too. In the kitchen, I do it. Um, you asked me about, you know, things in the kitchen. I have, I'm one of those cooks that I have spectacular successes. But as many <laughs> spectacular successes I have, I have spectacular failures. I don't do, I very rarely will make something where people will go, yeah, it's all right. And if they do, they're being polite because usually I will either make something that's, that's decent, you know, pretty good, or I make something that's totally inedible and it is a <laughs> roll of the dice that day. <laughs> so that backup plan is always important. When I taste something as I'm cooking and I go, oh, that's not at all the flavors that I was hoping for. I was going for palatable. Uh, <laughs> Where's the peanut butter? That's what you have to ask yourself at that moment. Where, where is the peanut butter? Here are the spoons. Here's the jar of jelly. Let's have dinner. Oh, so much good sage advice. So share, share with us, share with us one more thing before we go today. Um, next time you step into the kitchen, and this could be your kitchen at home, or this could be the, uh, the food prep area at ProSense Consumer Research Center. What will you be prepping, cooking, tasting? What's next on the agenda? ProSense-wise, I can only tell you it will be something plant-based. Personally, what's coming next? Um, I think it's going to be... That's probably going to be cabbage roll soup because I've been wanting cabbage rolls for some time and they take a lot of work to make and I'm not prepared to go through all of that. So um, I saw online a, a recipe for, I hate when they say deconstructed. It just means mm -hmm. you didn't bother to put it together. Um, but truthfully, I'm not. So it's going to be a cabbage roll soup and I will not be bothered to do it and I will not be cooking cabbage and rolling leaves and things. But um, kudos to those who do invite me over. Um, but I think that might be the next thing, a little, little shout out to the Hungarian roots. Um, but, 
um, we'll see how it goes, but it should be good. No, sounds it? delightful. And you've, you've managed everybody's expectations on it. I have. And <laughs> I know, I know that you will be bold. So I think it's going to hit the hundred. I don't think it's going to hit the zero. <laughs>